Hey, if you would, I would encourage you to open your Bibles, and I would encourage you to open your Bibles. I would encourage you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 42, because we are going to look at a lot of Bible today, a lot of Bible today. There is a Bible app event for this message, and that thing will be your friend. If you have the Version Bible app, you click the little hamburger menu down the corner, you click an event near you, all of this text will be in front of you, and you'll be able to read along that way if you'd like to, but not to worry. I will give you chapters and verse for those of you who are paper people, and uh, we'll be in good shape with that as well, okay? I do want to say to those of you who are online, I apologize for not reminding you of this earlier. You probably know the drill by now that the first Sunday of the month is Communion Sunday. So we will be celebrating Communion at the end of the service. I say that to you who are here as well. If you didn't think to grab your Communion, it's on the table in the back, and you can go get your cup back there. If you want to slip out and do that, you can do that, okay? All right. Happy birthday. United States of America, right? Fourth of July. The United States of America. United. Right? United. Right? United? (laughs) Well, we're united under one government. Yeah, I guess so. But you probably, when you look around, you say, we're not really united in a lot of different ways. We seem to be kind of divided in a lot of different ways. I actually recently saw an online poll, uh, and and I, I didn't... It's not a scientific poll. It was one of those polls like somebody asked a question and about a thousand people responded to it. And it was an online poll that was conducted like nine months ago, like right before the most recent presidential election. And and a question basically asked this. It said, when this divisive election is over, will you try to reconcile with your estranged friends, your friends with whom you have disagreed politically? Okay, so a thousand people answered that question. What percentages do you think answered yes? What percentage? 3.1%. Yeah, wow. That's what I said. Wow. That means about 97 out of 100. And in the comments below the poll, you can see what they said. They said, nope, they are dead to me. Wow. Wow. Now, this is troubling to anyone who understands Abraham Lincoln's words when he said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. You know, Lincoln didn't invent that concept. Uh, He's referring, and he knows it because he knew his Bible, he's referring to something Jesus said, where Jesus says in Matthew 12, 25, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Huh. Will the United States ever be united away? Uh, I'm sorry, will the United States ever be united again? It'll take a lot of work. It'll take the work of reconciliation. You know, as troubling as the divisiveness of our nation is, and this sermon isn't about our nation or the divisiveness thereof, as troubling as that divisiveness is, it's even more troubling to me to see that divisiveness among friends or among family members or among Christians. It's troubling because for Christians, actually, This is a failure to prioritize the key commandment that Jesus gave to us regarding our relationships with one another. You see, Jesus has this idea that we're supposed to love one another. He says in the Gospel of John in chapter 13, verse 34, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And you know that at one time they asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then 
And then, without being asked, he said, that's the first and greatest commandment. The second, the second, well, nobody asked you for the second. I know, but the second, but Jesus, we didn't, no one asked you about the second. I know, but you need to know the second, (laughs) right? Jesus says the second is like it. It is love your neighbor as yourself. They are dead to me. Love your neighbor as yourself. I want to say this. Jesus actually ups the ante from your neighbor to someone else. In, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, he says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, I'm going to say a real in-your-face kind of sentence right now. Okay, So get your face up so I can hit it. All right, So I can get it really good. Here it is. If you can't love your brother or sister in Christ because of some political or economic, or social agenda, good luck loving your enemies. Good luck with that. We're going to look at Joseph today. We're doing a series on Bible stories, and we've come to Joseph, who happens to be a man who has every reason in the world to hate his brothers. Ten of his brothers took him when he was just a teenager and sold him to some Ishmaelite traders and sent him as a slave to Egypt and and then went home and lied to dad and said he died. He, he got killed. He got killed. I mean, if anyone should not want reconciliation with anybody, it would be Joseph with his brothers. But he makes every effort to reconcile with them. And I'd like us to look at the whole story of that today. He doesn't just reconcile with them. He has in his mind to forgive them regardless So you have this thing either in your hand or on the seat beside you or in the pew in front of you. You have your bread and your cup at home with you. As you prepare your heart to receive that in that moment of communion, I want you to prayerfully consider what relationships do you have that something happened a month ago or a year ago or a decade ago, and you might need to implement some forgiveness, some reconciliation. Those two words, forgiveness and reconciliation, They're important words. You can kind of think of it this way. Forgiveness is an attitude of the heart. It's a decision where you say in your heart, I will not personally hold what they did against them. I will not hold them responsible for the pain they have given to me. And forgiveness is really, and hear this phrase, an act of obedience to God to let go of a grudge. Forgiveness doesn't require reconciliation. You can just forgive. Reconciliation actually is a reunion of hearts, and it's a decision to reunite. Reuniting two parties who are estranged. Now, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about how sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes it's not advisable. Sometimes attempting reconciliation would not be wise. For example, if the relationship was destructive or unhealthy and remains so, then restoring that relationship would be foolish. Or you may have some old friends who influenced you in very bad ways, and they haven't changed. Reconciliation might not be healthy for you, spiritually, emotionally, personally. Or you may have found yourself in an abusive relationship that that simply does not lend itself to reconciliation. You can forgive in those cases, You can forgive the harm that was caused, but pursuing reconciliation might not be advisable. Sometimes reconciliation is simply impossible because the person isn't available. 
someone who's moved away, you know, they moved to China. Yeah. Well, it's kind of hard to reconcile with them. Yeah, they didn't move away, Pastor Steve. They passed away. Yeah, <laughs> that's a non-starter for reconciliation if they're dead. But you can forgive them. You can forgive them. Because forgiveness is something you do personally in your heart. You know, people have come to me and they said, Pastor Steve, I want to talk to you about my relationship with my dad or my relationship with this person, my relationship with that person. And, and they're dead, but I wrote them a letter. Someone suggested that I write them a letter and I wrote them a letter and, and I, I need someone to read it to. Who can I read that to? Me? No, I'm your huckleberry. I'll be glad for you to read that to me. You know why? Because it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Because when they do that, when they read those letters, they almost always issue forgiveness. Forgiveness is a beautiful thing. Even if you can't reconcile, you can forgive. Sometimes you can't reconcile because some people just don't want it. (laughs) They haven't repented. They are not going to accept responsibility for the pain they've caused. They're not going to say they're sorry because they're not sorry. And if they had a chance to do it again, they'd do the very same thing. In that case, reconciliation is impossible. But you can still forgive them. (laughs) There are people in my life who don't want to reconcile with me. This is hard to believe. My mom wouldn't believe this sentence. There are people that don't like me. (laughs) I'm not hard to believe. Yeah. There are people who will not forgive me. There are people who will not shake my hand. There are people who, when they see me, they avoid me. That makes reconciliation impossible. But I can forgive them. But it's really heartbreaking when reconciliation is impossible because reconciliation, as beautiful as forgiveness is, reconciliation is even more beautiful. So as we prepare for the Lord's Supper today, I want you to prepare your heart. I want you to consider, are there people who you need to forgive? Are there people with whom you should pursue reconciliation? Now, in our story today, Joseph pursues reconciliation with his brothers. And as I said, this is the same Joseph whose same brothers sold him into slavery a couple decades earlier. (laughs) And we're going to talk about how the reconciliation was pursued. We're going to go through many chapters of the Bible today. So put on your, uh, what do you need to put on? Seatbelt. Yeah, put it on your seatbelt, and we're going to talk about the first trip. It's in Genesis 42. Take a look at the screen, if you would. Do you see in the lower right-hand corner, it says Genesis 42? Well, if you get lost on this journey, see, I'm going to change it. See, now it says 43. Now it says, four. so, you know, if you're like, I just completely lost him, but I'll really try to help you follow along. And I really want you to see it in the text. I really want you to see it in the text. And I'll stop along the way to kind of give some running commentary. 42, verse 1. Jacob is going to send 10 of his boys for food. Jacob and Israel, they're the same guy. They are Joseph and his brother's dad. Or he is Joseph and his brother's dad. Verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. Benjamin was the youngest of all these 12 sons, okay? 
When they arrive, Joseph's in charge. He has risen from being a slave in Egypt to being in charge of all Egypt because he was discovered for the talent he had, and uh, now he's kind of the head guy. So Joseph, when they arrive, he interrogates the family and their character. Verse 7, as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where have you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. Now, that kind of accusation just makes all the wheels fall off of any kind of structure, any kind of go-kart that these guys had. Because they're just like, no, no, we're, and they, and they just start running at the mouth, you know? They didn't say, I think I'll take the Fifth Amendment, which amendment is, um, can I speak to my attorney, please? They're just talking. In verse 7. It's, where, where was I? Thank you, verse 10. Verse 10. No, my Lord, they said, your servants have come to buy food. We are the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. When they say that, we are the sons of one man, here's what they're saying. We're not some kind of a gang. We're not a street gang. We're not marauders. We're family. We're just family men. We're coming here. Our dad sent us down here. We are not spies. Verse 12. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants are 12 brothers, the son of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. Now, this is something Joseph's interested in. Wait a minute. Tell me about that one with your father. So skip down to verse 15. It says, Joseph speaks, he says, if you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back to your starving households. You must bring me your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. Okay, there's kind of a key phrase there. And it's the phrase, if you are honest man. If you are honest man. Because here's what's happening. I can remember reading the story as a kid growing up. I never understood why all this back and forth, what's going on? Here's what's happening. Joseph is checking to see if these are the same brothers that sold him into slavery or have they changed. Joseph is investigating the possibility of reconciliation. Look at verse 21. They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come to us. Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you would not listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver in his sack. And you see what he just did there? He's given them grain and he's given their money back to put each man's silver in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. So the test is really underway now. Are they going to leave Simeon behind? I mean, they have to, but will they ever return for him? 20 years ago, they wouldn't have. How about now? Are they, when they do return, are they going to come clean about the money that he put in the sacks? Or are they going to kind of keep that and see if they can cheat him? Are these the same unrepentant brothers 
as he left in Cana? Or are these men with whom he can be reconciled? He's testing them. Look at verse 27. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey. And he saw his silver in the mouth of the sack. My silver's been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. And their hearts sank as they turned to each other and said, what is this that God has done to us? Yeah, (laughs) that would rattle you a little bit because you got to know that guy that just yelled at us, he's going to be mad about this. When they arrive home, they relate the account to Jacob. Look at verse 36. Their father Jacob said to them, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin? Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, you may put both my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, my son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. Jacob's not going to risk it. It's not going to happen. Okay, so that takes us to our second trip because that food's going to run out. Turn to Genesis 43. We're going to start at verse 8 and start reading there. And obviously, they need more food. And obviously, they're not going to go down without Benjamin because they're going to come back empty if they do that. So they're going to take Benjamin. Look at verse 8 of chapter 43. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that you, so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we'd not delayed, we could have gone down and returned twice. So they prepare to go. And in verse 11, you see, they've resolved to do the right thing. Verse 11 says, Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm, a little honey, some spices, some myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back in the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go to the man at once. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so he will let your brother, your other brother, and Benjamin come back for you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. And so you see, they're going down, and Joseph is going to test them further. Upon their arrival, the brothers immediately report to the steward, hey, this money was in our sacks, and, and you can have it back. This shouldn't have, we paid you, and then when we left, our money was in our sacks. And in verse 23, look what it says. It's all right, he said, don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you the treasure in your sack. I received your silver. And then he brought Simeon out to them. That's got to feel good. Feels like things are going pretty well. And so they show honor to Joseph in verse 26. It says, when Joseph came home, they presented him the gifts they had brought into the house and they bowed down before him on the ground. Just pause for a minute. Do you think that Joseph kind of breathed in a little bit there? Like, I dreamed this was going to happen. This is kind of amazing. And I think maybe if I'm Joseph at that point, I'm pretty hopeful. I'm pretty hopeful because maybe my brothers have changed. Maybe reconciliation is possible, but I need to know for sure. So turn to chapter 44, Genesis 44. 
Afterward, Joseph is actually going to set Benjamin up, kind of. And this is the ultimate test. Benjamin is the youngest brother. He's kind of expendable. Sorry, younger brother, someone too. And Benjamin is a half-brother to the majority of those guys. He's like Joseph, the half-brother. And he's like Joseph because he's one of two sons that Jacob's favorite wife gave birth to. So what are these guys going to do about Benjamin? Will they use him to get what they need, or will they protect him? Verse four, chapter 44, verse 1. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of the house. Fill these men's sacks with as much food as they can carry and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, into the mouth of the youngest one's sack. That's Benjamin's. Along with his silver and for his grain. And he did this. And he did as Joseph said. Verse three. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with the donkeys. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, go after those men at once. And when you catch up with them, Say to them, why have you repaid good for evil? Isn't this cup my master drinks from? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing that you have done. And so the steward does as Joseph instructs. And in response, in response, all the brothers are brought back and they all offer to become Joseph's slaves. We don't know how that cup got in there but we are your slaves. Make us your slaves. Because it seems like they stole something pretty important. But Joseph says, look at verse 17. But Joseph said, far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup, Benjamin, will become my slave. The rest of you, go back to your father in peace. Joseph's going to keep Jacob's youngest son, Benjamin. Now, we can be pretty confident that a decade or two earlier, these men might very well have left this happen. Okay, yeah, we're not going to suffer. Let him suffer. The question in Joseph's mind is, will they let this happen? Or have their hearts changed? Can I reconcile with these men? In verse 30, Judah speaks to Joseph, telling him the story. And he says, so now, if the boy is not with us, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. And then in verse 33, Judah does the remarkable. Speaking of himself, he says, now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, don't let me see the misery that would come on my father. These are not the same men. These are not the same brothers that sold Joseph into slavery. And maybe reconciliation is possible. Okay, let's go to chapter 45. I told you we were gonna be reading like a million verses. Stay with me, okay? Stay with me. Joseph loses it. I mean, he loses it. He sees this change in his brother and he begins the reconciliation. And in verse one, it says, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? 
But the brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that the Lord sent me ahead of you. Do you hear his heart of reconciliation? Look at verse seven. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. And then Joseph shows that he's not just forgiving them. He really wants reconciliation. He wants them to be near him. Verse nine. Now hurry back to my father and say, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You will live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you belong to you will become destitute. He wants to be near them. And he wants them to be able to walk in goodness. Verse 24 cracks me up. Look at verse 24. It says, he sent his brothers away. And as they were leaving, he said to them, do not quarrel along the way. You know, I kind of get this picture of a mom putting a bunch of kids into the car. They're going to go down to the, the, the pool in town to swim. And, and just before they leave, she sticks her head in the window and says, don't you guys be fighting when you're there, you know? And Joseph knew what kind of brothers these were. He knew their tendencies, but he loved them and he wanted them to walk in goodness. So they went out of Egypt and came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he's ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. No kidding. (laughs) Wouldn't you? You thought he was dead. He did not believe them. Verse 27. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, And when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced. My son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. And he does. And he does. Wow. I feel like you should really, don't do it, but you should give yourself a hand for sitting through that entire story. This is not how I usually preach. If you're visiting with us, this is not how I usually preach. But man, wasn't that a great story? I am so glad we read every word. Now I want to talk to you about it. I want to talk to you about reconciliation. I want to ask you, what will require of you to reconcile to those from whom you are estranged? And as we prepare for communion, preparing our hearts, I want to talk to you about what it will require so you can make some preparations. If you're going to reconcile, you're going to have to have a heart that is ready. You know, in conflict, our hearts are always ready. I am ready to defend my rights. I am ready to let you know exactly what you did to mess us. I'm ready to get even. I am ready to tell people how wrong they were. I am ready to resist. That is not the readiness you see in Joseph. He doesn't go back and rehearse the hurts of the past. Well, you know, you guys, I got grain for you, but I want to talk to you. You know what you did to me wasn't very nice. He doesn't do that at all. He kind of lets bygones be bygones. He lets the disagreements of the past, the, the, the evil of the past, he just lets it alone. He doesn't go back because he has a heart that is ready to reconcile. I really love 45.5 where it says, and now do not be distressed, do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. 
I would want them to kind of wallow in that a little bit because I'm not always ready to reconcile. But if I want to reconcile, I need to be ready to be obedient and do what God says. I need to have a heart that is ready and wanting to see healing come to the relationship. I need to have a heart that wants love to prevail. So you, as you come to the Lord's Supper today, ready your heart for reconciliation. Uh, Second, you'll need to have a heart that is honest, a heart that will consider difficult questions. And the first one is, am I innocent in all of this? Sometimes when you feel that you're the offended party and the other guy was the bad guy, a season of prayer and reflection can go a long way. And after that, you begin to realize, I was kind of a jerk in this. I think a lot of this might be my fault. And that can actually be refreshing. You may even need to find an honest friend to talk to about what has happened. A third party. Not the friend that's always going to say, oh yeah, you were right. Not that guy, but the friend who's going to say, yeah, I can see both sides. Here's maybe... Here's maybe where the truth is. Am I honest? Am I innocent of all this? An honest heart asks, am I innocent? And it asks, why is it that I want this to be repaired anyway? (laughs) If you know the story of the prodigal son, have you ever thought of his motives for coming back? He did not come back for reconciliation. That wasn't on his mind at all. He came back for a meal. He came back for a meal. Maybe God used that, though, to push his heart toward reconciliation because that is what his father wanted. What is the reason we might desire reconciliation? Well, I can't stand losing. So by golly, I'm going to reconcile with that guy if it kills me. Hmm, that's not a good one. Or, you know, they have stuff I need. He has that wood chipper, and I need to borrow that. Maybe I should straighten things out with him. Or, you know, everybody knows that my brother and I are fighting like this. It's just embarrassing. I wonder if I can smooth this over a little bit to get out of that embarrassment. If those are your motives, you're probably not going to experience any true reconciliation. Joseph's motives were pretty simple. These are my brothers. I shouldn't be mad at them. These, these people, these people are people I'm supposed to love. I should forget about the past. And actually, this is what those dreams were all about. God wanted this to happen. And God is a God of reconciliation. Honest heart. It examines its motives. And an honest heart is honest about what it's willing to do. Are you willing to extend your hand of friendship? Are you willing to risk hearing a whole lot of anger, some of it wrong? Are you willing to deal with whatever baggage comes with that relationship? Are you willing to let go of the past and let bygones be bygones? Are you willing to maybe agree to disagree? Are you willing to do what needs to be done to reconcile? What am I willing to do? At communion, (laughs) know that reconciliation will require you to examine such things and to have an honest heart. Third, you will need a heart that is discerning. One that asks the question, can reconciliation happen? That is what Joseph is doing through all these chapters. He's asking the question, can reconciliation happen? Is it possible? And a discerning heart asks that question. If the person is dead, reconciliation probably isn't going to happen in this life. If the person would be hurt by you approaching them in a significant way, then maybe the most gracious thing you can do is just leave it alone. It's not ideal, but it may be necessary. If the person is unwilling, then all you can do is forgive. All you can do is forgive. Listen, 
If all you can do is forgive, then forgive. Forgive. Reconciliation is a two-way street, you understand? Both of you need to be willing to move and to act if reconciliation is going to happen. But forgiveness, it needs only one way. (laughs) The offender doesn't have to receive the forgiveness for you to give it. They don't have to want the forgiveness, but you can forgive them. They don't have to know that you've forgiven them, and you can forgive them. They could be dead, and you can forgive them. As you come to communion, prayerfully consider the feasibility of reconciliation. And third, be sure that you have a heart that leaves room for the Holy Spirit to work. I kind of have a feeling that Joseph did a double take when he saw his brothers, 10 brothers, enter his court and re-enter his life. I mean, sure, he had the dreams, but that was so long ago. So many days he presided over that, that duty there and he hadn't seen them. And then all of a sudden, there they are. I seriously doubt he expected, eh, it's Thursday, I'll bet my brothers will be here today. You know, It must have been a surprise. I think that the Spirit of God likes to surprise us that way. And so I would say to you, do not write off any relationship as a lost cause. Do not burn bridges. Leave that for God to call. And follow the counsel of the Apostle Paul, who in Romans 12, 18 says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you. We're not taking communion yet. I'm just going to hold this up for a second. These are handy. They're a little complicated to get open. If this is your first time, you might want to get a head start. That which this symbolizes and demonstrates is the greatest act of reconciliation ever given. As fantastic as Joseph's story is, And as good a man as he is, it does not compare with the Lord Jesus Christ who saw humankind as going the wrong direction, as being alienated from him. You know, in the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, eating the fruit was just a matter of turning your back on Jesus, turning your back on your creator. I don't really care. You are dead to me. I'm going to eat the fruit. And God said, I'm going to remedy your problem. I'm going to extend my hand to you through Jesus. I am going to make possible reconciliation so that you do not need to pay for your sin if you will only turn around, repent, and just trust my love. All is forgotten. It is a beautiful act of reconciliation. It is more than forgiveness. And he does it so that we can walk with him, so that he can talk with us, so we can have peace with God, so we can feel like he's more than just the man upstairs. So we can know that we are his and he is ours. The most important reconciliation you will ever undergo is a reconciliation between you and God when you trust Christ to have paid for your own sin. And if you don't think you have any, ask someone who knows you to pay for your own sin. You trust him to have done that and you turn and follow him. If you haven't done that, just do it in the quietness of your heart. Just say, yeah, that's what I want, God. I want to be reconciled to you. I'm sorry for my sin. I will follow you. I trust Jesus and you're good to go. 
You're good to go means not good to go to heaven. It means you're good to go forward living a life that is pleasing to him. And part of living a life that is pleasing to him is to love your enemies and to, as I have loved you, so you must love one another, to reconcile with people. You ever hear someone say this phrase? I hear people say this phrase all the time. I hate conflict. (laughs) Well, yeah, most of us do, right? There are certain people who don't. I don't want to hang around them if I don't have to, right? Most of us don't like being at odds with old friends. Most of us don't like being estranged from others. I'm pretty sure that Joseph didn't like how that felt. So the question then that confronts you today at this communion Sunday is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about the people you are estranged from? I'm not really concerned about our country's division. That doesn't mean I don't love America. I do. But think about it. We got past the Civil War. I'm not really worried about our country's division. (laughs) But I am deeply concerned about the division that you may be experiencing personally. Whether it's something that is brand new in your life or something that is as old as decades. I'm concerned about that kind of division in the heart of one who has been told, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. It's important that you overcome it. It's important that you do not remain estranged. It is important that you choose to love, that you choose to forgive, and if possible, to reconcile. So as the worship team comes, I want you, I want to pray with you. Come on up, worship team. As they come, I want to pray with you that your heart would be open and willing to forgive and reconcile, and that God himself would show you how to move forward in that. And he will. If you go to God and you say, I want to do the right thing, I don't know how, he doesn't say, well, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. And he's not a dumb idol that is an idol that can't speak. He's the living God. He speaks to you. Ask him, who do I need to forgive? With whom do I need to be reconciled? How should I do that? And I want to pray that that would happen. So let's bow our hearts together. Father in heaven, as we prepare for communion, we come to you with hearts that want to do what you do, forgive and reconcile. As we hold in our hands this bread and this cup, we we recognize that you are the great reconciler pray you will show us individuals in our lives that we need to forgive and that we would recognize forgiveness isn't like, well, I just can't forgive. It's a command and all we need to do is obey. Okay, I'll leave that person with you, God. I take him off the hook. I let him off the hook. And then having forgiven that we would speak to you concerning reconciliation. Can I be reconciled with this person and how might that happen? And if it's possible, God, you show us the path to take. Because we hate conflict and we don't want to be estranged, period. So I pray that you would help us. Help us to to do the right thing. In Christ's name, amen. That which you have in your hand is that which represents the bread and the cup, the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. If you pull the thin film off, you'll have the wafer. I'm going to ask one of the elders if he would pray a prayer of thanks. It will be Josh.
for the bread. Before he does that, I would remind you that we do this because the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and said, this is my body which is given for you. And he did that that we might be reconciled to him. How cool is that? That which you hold represents the very reconciling heart of God. Josh, would you pray a prayer of thanks for that and then we'll take it together. Lord God, we thank you for your amazing gift that we were not in any way deserving of it. Yet you came down to bring healing to our broken relationship. And out of this, God, we have the opportunity to live lives for you. We thank you, Jesus, for loving us that much. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The body of Christ. The scripture says that afterward he took the cup. And again, I would prepare you, I would encourage you to prepare yours. I hope you're joining us at home if you're able. And Jesus speaks of this and he says, this, this, is, this cup is the New Testament, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you take it in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you show the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to ask uh, one of the elders if they would pray a prayer of thanks for the blood of Christ. Eric? Lord, I thank you for this good and perfect gift, this good and perfect sacrifice. Lord, I pray that we would recognize the depth of that, that when we need reconciliation, and if we do this morning, that we would pursue that this day, this morning, this minute. We thank you, Lord, in all things, in Jesus' name. The blood of Christ.